The more that we chatted with merchants and validated that this was a something that people were really interested in, the more it was driven by excitement and then eventually kind of validation of the concept and just sheer belief in it. Coping in some ways is just the definition of what it takes to start a company. In terms of trade-offs and what we were building, I think from an engineering perspective, there's often a little bit of a trade-off between all the features that you want to build, speed and quality of what you're building. And you're trying to determine, do we need to build something that's going to scale indefinitely or are we building something for the next month? My name is Jeremy Wood and I'm one of the co-founders over here at OpenStore. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laupart, and today how Jeremy Wood built the platform providing a hassle-free acquisition process for your Shopify store. All this and more on Code Story. Jeremy Wood grew up in Portland and has been heavily influenced by that upbringing. He enjoyed really strong maker communities supporting local craft artists to thrive and build their business. I was under the impression that Portland was beautiful all year round, but Jeremy clued me in that three months out of the year, it's a drizzly, soggy mess. He moved to the Bay Area for school and was surrounded by optimism, tech focus, and sheer intelligence. As I mentioned, Jeremy was really into the craft builder community, which also led him to be interested in e-commerce. He observed Shopify grow as a marketplace that made things so easy to launch a store. What he figured out was that there was a need for these store owners to offload and sell their business. This is the creation story of OpenStore. OpenStore aims to provide near instant liquidity to Shopify merchants, usually in the order of something that's going to be uh, life-changing. What that means is for Shopify merchants that are looking to move on and do something else, we'll offer a cash offer for their business. Usually those are founders who are wanting to go on and do any number of things. So it could be start another business. It could be just go and enjoy life for a little while. It could be a career change. Um, it could be a life change that they need to accommodate. Um, there's any number of reasons, but there wasn't really a good marketplace for these merchants until we came along. So we've been trying to dive into that space and really understand what motivates these merchants and how we can give them the best possible experience. I think I mentioned that growing up in Portland had a huge interest in local crafts, which I think has fed into a strong interest in e-commerce, partly because that's enabled merchants who otherwise might not exist to be able to go online and find customers across either the states or the world that are going to be interested in what they want to sell. Having watched e-commerce come online, I was really interested in the space, specifically Shopify grow as a marketplace where it just made it so easy for someone to spin up an online store. But then there is this large question in the sky of where do those merchants go? Parents, uh, for example, will be running a store and then they don't really know what to do with it. Sometimes kids don't want to take it over. Sometimes they can't find anyone else to take it over. Usually it is a very tiny operation. So if that doesn't work, there's really nowhere for them to go. 
at least with brick and mortar, you can then sell the space and kind of wind down operations, but there's, there's no corollary to that in the e-commerce space. So OpenStar started off as an idea between really a couple of us. There's, there's Keith in the mix there, there's Jack Abraham in the mix there, as well as my, my wonderful co-founder, Matt Lanter. It started off as an approach to solving exactly that problem. How do we provide a way for merchants to move on to whatever they want to do next? Tell me about the MVP, so that first product you built. How long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I feel like an MVP is never truly done by definition. So the real original MVP was probably hacking together with spreadsheets. And then we moved from there into a lot of what my job was as an engineer by training and the head of engineering, which was to build a slightly automated version of that so that we weren't just (laughs) complete fools trying to ask people for spreadsheets on their businesses. That was probably done over really just like a month or two. Now there's multiple components of that. We're, we're trying to provide a really fast, really easy experience for merchants. Initial take on that was we just need to be able to collect the things from merchants that we need to and then start doing analysis on it so that by the time operators on our team get to it and are able to try and dive in and understand the business, uh, there's some of the pre-work already done for them. I think that was really just a, a couple of months in the making. Dive in for me some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make in building that MVP. You're kind of touching on it at a high level when building an MVP, but tell me about some of those that you had to work through. And specifically, I'm curious how you coped with those decisions. Coped is an interesting way to put it. I think coped is probably you are so excited. And the more that we chatted with merchants and validated that this was a something that people were really interested in, the more it was driven by excitement and then eventually kind of validation of the concept and just sheer belief in it. Coping in some ways is, is I think, the, just the definition of what it takes to start a company which is building a momentum around it and then maintaining that momentum even when times are difficult, Um, which especially early on, like they they just weren't. I think we saw so much interest. In terms of trade-offs and what we were building, I think from an engineering perspective, there's often a little bit of a trade-off between all the features that you want to build, speed and quality of what you're building. And you're trying to determine, do we need to build something that's uh, going to scale indefinitely or are we building something for the next month? And I think I touched on a lot of the pieces actually in that sentence, but usually that is a framework of impact versus effort on almost a cash discount flow kind of methodology where you're doing effort versus impact on a discounted time horizon. So if this is going to be delivered in three months, well, that's not nearly as valuable as getting delivered tomorrow. Is this going to take a lot of effort? Then probably put that down on our prioritization stack. If it's not going to take a lot of effort, great, amazing, let's do it, depending on what the impact is going to be. So it was really using that. I don't think there were a lot of questions about exactly what to do early on. I think it was fairly straightforward. We knew we needed to be able to provide a a really world-class experience to merchants, even if to do that, we were propping up a bunch of things on the back end just to make it work at first and make sure that it was consistent for the merchants that were engaging with us. 
from that point, you've got your MVP. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And you know, how are you planning to? And to wrap that, to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or, or to address with open store. You should have a roadmap in mind in the back of your head. You need to have a company vision as you're going into uh, building a team, building a company, uh, chatting both externally and internally with employees. So you have this general, broad direction you're going, and you're just trying to figure out the pieces that need to go into place to get there. You usually have decent foresight for the next couple of months we actually went through a phase where we were doing quarterly planning. We've recently moved back to doing more monthly planning with some quarterly overlay. It's a startup. You're kind of constantly switching direction to figure out, okay, has this path changed to get to that ultimate goal? I think another way I often think about that is you have opportunity costs by investing in whatever direction you're going. And the only true way to understand opportunity cost is to understand what the other opportunities even are. So usually I think of it as we have kind of a general current direction that we should be, should be spending 80 or 90% of our time on and then 10 to 20. And this, this varies very much by the state of the business, where you are, what your certainty is. But as a rule of thumb, 10 to 20% of your time is spent exploring those other opportunities to make sure that you constantly understand the opportunity cost of what you're working on without sacrificing momentum on that thing. Okay, let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? We built it awesome individual by awesome individual. I, <laughs> I actually don't love the term horses because it's, it's such a, a human-driven uh, endeavor at the, end of the, at the end of the day. You're in the trenches with these people, and you really have to trust them. And you have to be able to work alongside them and you have to believe that you guys are all going to get better at what you're doing. Generally, what I was looking for in people, especially early team, was you're looking for slope or ability to learn and grow. Usually at a startup, you're really going to struggle to hire people who are absolute world-class experts to fill every single role. Some roles, certainly, and some roles you actually really need that. But a lot of them, that's just, it's not in the cards if you're struggling to survive day to day. So you're looking for people who are excited about the mission. You're looking for people who are really high slope, as I said. So they're going to grow into the opportunities that you provide. And as a result, you're also going to have to provide them with really awesome opportunities as you grow. And those are probably the two most important things I've found. We've had a lot of uh, incredible people join us who, uh, certainly on paper, did not look like they were perfect matches for the role. Either they were coming from slightly different careers or they were relatively new to the space. And we had an initial chat with them and I basically said, look, this person has incredible amount of excitement, incredible capacity for learning. I was chatting with them for 30 minutes. I learned so much from them already. And I think they'd be an awesome addition we know that they have the skills to at least do the, the beginning part of what we need. I think that they can grow into anything else we need. And we never really know as a startup to the point about you're constantly changing exactly what you're doing. You never know exactly what skills are going to be needed. And so you need people who are adaptable. So let's flip the scalability then. 
Was this built with scale in mind from day one, or are you finding this as you grow and gain traction? It's all back to exactly what is the effort to make it incredibly scalable versus the impact of doing so, and on what time horizon will that be needed? So if you're going to need something in two months because of scale, then you're probably much more likely to build it. But even then, it's not its not a sure shot. It's all dependent on exactly what would be the effort involved in doing that today versus doing that in two months. I think as a rule of thumb, I used early on, and I'm I'm not even sure that this is, is the right time horizon, but I usually said something should last for at least three to six months in this business. So if you're building something and you know that this is gonna break sooner than that, then either that has to be because there's really low effort involved in building it today and we really need it, aka there's high impact, or it's really ambiguous whether or not we actually are going to need scale in three to six months and it takes a lot of effort to build the more scalable version. So again, like on that that discounted time uh, line that I talked about, one of the factors on that is certainly certainty. So where we have high certainty, great, let's build it if it's low effort. But I, it, there was no single answer to that on scalability. And I think one of the one of the key arbitrages as an exec in engineering is what are the opportunities to make something scalable just by twisting or tweaking how you're thinking about it without changing the amount of effort required to build it or the impact on everything else that you're building. So like early on, we focused on a like very, very lambda heavy for those people who are, are building on AWS architecture. And that meant that we weren't too worried about scale hitting us suddenly. It certainly would cause some issues, but it wasn't just going to completely break everything. It would at worst break experiences for a couple of merchants, but at best, nothing would really be impacted. And then over time, we've had to expand that suite and expand into slightly more efficient ways of doing things where we're also, we have better guarantees on latency. But certainly early on, you're main focus is speed of development without sacrificing external facing quality. Well, as you step out on the balcony, you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? So many things. I think one answer is actually the team. I think we just have a really incredible group of people at OpenStore. I think another one is what I mentioned up front, or at least earlier, which was our speed of, of giving offers, that we really are at the point where we're giving very large cash offers to businesses within 24 hours of them engaging with us. And I think at this point, we're down to the majority of merchants being able to go through all of the steps in our offer flow in under 15 minutes. And then really, it's just on our side, making sure that we move very fast to complete the initial analyses that we need to complete in order to give them an offer. That was absolutely a crowning achievement and something that we are aiming for from from very early days. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think one that comes up when you're building is any discrepancy in early tech stack is compounding. So I actually made a call early on to go with a relatively new framework at the time that was not as well supported ultimately as we needed. And so we ended up having to switch off that framework. The team took it really well. And I think it was it was an active discussion between the team and myself of, okay, why was this selected? 
Do we want to consider moving? What are the reasons? Let's take a look. How fast are we growing as a company? Because that also influences, do you need a tech stack that's, that's really well productionized? So for, for the engineers out there, we were initially working on Remix and ultimately made the call a couple months in to switch over to Next.js. And it was early on by design. And so it wasn't as hard. And that's part of why once we made this decision, I tried to act really fast to make sure we made that transition. Transitions, especially as you get into like the year old business territory are really hard to make. You're having to migrate a lot of things and at a time that's really critical for speed. So I think the fact that we reacted to it early and switched it up was really good. I thought our ability to have dialogue about it and and make a an informed decision was really strong. And now it's also funny looking back because I think Remix has grown immensely as a framework and actually become very, very popular. And I'm generally a pretty big advocate of, but as a result of really needing it at a moment when it wasn't quite yet there, um, we had to switch off of it. Well, Jeremy, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? Continuing to try and provide a better experience for both our, our business customers and our end consumers. So as we built out the initial product, it was all about providing an amazing experience for merchants. But as we've bought more and more businesses, it's become more about also their consumers and really taking good care of their consumers and the consumers that we bring onto their businesses after we acquire them. At the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're, we're really solid stewards of what are often labors of love. If not love, they're at a minimum labors of a lot of sweat. Let's switch to you, Jeremy. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name someone or many persons or something you look up to and why. I've never been one for, for like singular heroes. I've had a lot of experiences in life of meeting heroes and realizing they're humans and there are good things and there are bad things. And mostly mostly good things and the ones you keep around you are the, the people who are solidly in that good camp. But I try and focus on, honestly, inspiration from, from the people that we surround ourselves with day to day. So it ends up being less of a, a, a hero or a far off distant figure and more of we have, especially at OpenStore, built an incredible community, but I, I've tried to do that throughout much of my life and find things in, in the people around me that are, are just really astounding talents, zero in on those and try and learn from them as much as possible. But as a result, I also think the influences on me have, have really changed over time. Obviously a massive one these days has been working with Keith, who's really been an incredible co-founder, an incredible mentor, and helped make this possible. But I think the same can be said for, for a lot of the people that we've hired into the company. Even if they're reporting into me and technically subordinates, they're, they're frankly also incredibly awesome incredibly motivating hard workers that have made this company what it is. We talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you different or where would you consider taking a different approach? So I think that as you're founding companies, um, especially when you're a first time founder like I was, there's this funny game of you're expected to both have a lot of confidence in your ideas and yet you should be constantly learning and understanding new ways of doing things, which I think takes a certain level of humility. 
that at times has felt at odds. And I think I would have much earlier on just tried to have more conversations with mentors about exactly that and kind of realized that I think many people go through it. It's a very normal thing to do. It's also a normal thing for a lot of our early employees to do because you're expected to kind of know enough to be able to do everything that you need to do to fill the role of what at much larger companies would be a 10-person team. And I think we, we've gotten there, but it was, it was certainly a, a hard part of the early beginnings of starting a company. Okay, last question, Jeremy. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? Um, focus on speed and focus on building a, a team around you that you trust. That ultimately anything great is going to take a lot of people. It is rarely a single person effort. It might be a small group effort. There might be a small core group of really, truly incredible people who move it forward. But you need to you need to found your company with that group. And ideas come and go. There's a ton of ideas out there. It's going to end up being about execution and how fast you learn from your mistakes. Fantastic advice. Couldn't agree more. Well, Jeremy, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Open Store. It's been a pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.